0: If you didn't see on Instagram, we are going to be starting a new series through the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm so excited to start this book series. We're going to make our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and the series is entitled Be Wise, Be Wise, and we'll find out why in just a moment. But we're going to study 1 Corinthians together, and I'm really excited just to dig deep into this book and see what the Lord has for us. But first, let's. Uh, just take a moment to pray. Let's let's dedicate our Bible study to the Lord tonight. Lord, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would help us, that you would teach us, Lord. Thank you for the worship. You are so good, God, and we don't take for granted the many blessings that we, we have, that we enjoy in the freedom of America. We love you, God, and we look forward to what you're going to teach us through the book of 1 Corinthians. I pray that you would Encourage us and, and comfort us, convict us, Lord, where there needs to be conviction in our hearts, and may our hearts just be wide open to you tonight to teach us and to um, just make your, your name known in our hearts and in our lives that we might take what we learned tonight and we might practice it. Because faith without works is dead, the Bible says, and we don't want to be people who just talk the talk, but we have no walk behind it. And so we dedicate our Bible study to you now, and we pray that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, and our minds, that our minds would just rest in you after a long Monday. We love you, God. We praise you, and we commit our Bible study to you now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. I was probably 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere around there, and I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago uh, that we had a dog named Augie, and we called her Augie the Doggy, and she was a beautiful chocolate lab, the friendliest dog you'd ever meet. Uh, she is now past, uh, rest in peace. But she was the best dog and um, something my dad did and put in place in order to keep our dog in the yard. And I'm, I'm sure that if you have pets or you have dogs, uh, you either have an actual fence or you, you might have an electric fence. So this was probably 10, 15 years ago and my dad put in place an electric fence. And with an electric fence came those small uh, metal uh, flags that you put in the ground and you place them in the boundary of your yard. And then it also comes with an electric collar and you put the electric collar around the dog. And as soon as the dog passes the electric fence, uh, it sends a, an electric bolt through their neck and it just pierces their body. And it's supposed to obviously prohibit them from crossing the boundaries of the yard and so this is what my dad did, set in place some of those flags, put the electric collar on our dog, Augie, and we would play with her in the yard. But for, for whatever reason, the electric collar did not seem to bother Augie at all. And so she had a crush on the neighbor's dog, and she would, with, without hesitation, always just bolt and pass through that electric fence. And it, she just, without hesitation, just would cross the boundary, would cross uh, the lines, and would, would go see the neighbor's dog, and I became curious, does this collar actually work? <laughs> so, in the yard one day, unclip the electric collar from my dog, and I put it on myself. And I was just testing to see if this thing would actually work. I loved my dog, I had great compassion for this dog, and I was thinking to myself, if this thing actually Hurts, I mean, this would be detrimental to my soul. And so I put it on around my neck just to test the system to see if it would work. What I didn't know was that my dad was actually watching me through the window (laughs) and could see the whole thing. And so I'm in the middle of the yard and I get closer and closer to this electric fence. Not a peep, thinking this thing's good. Doesn't work, it's safe. Get closer and closer to the electric fence everything's fine. No electric current. Then I pass through the electric current and bam, it hits me and I just jump back. I bolt, I, I, I come back to the line and I, now I know this thing works. <laughs> now, I don't know what actually hurt me worse. The fact that the electric current was coming through my neck, pulsating my entire body Or the fact that my dad watched the entire thing and didn't do a thing to stop me. (laughs) And I'm, you know, I hold this against him to this day. Anyhow, that was a very unwise moment. A very unwise decision in my history book of unwise decisions. Paul here is going to address the wisdom, or lack thereof, of the Corinthian church within this letter. And so I've decided to take us through this series called Be Wise... As we study this book together, uh, Paul, the writer of Corinthians, he wrote this book roughly around AD 55. He mentions the word wise or wisdom 30 times throughout his letter to the Corinthian church. 30 times and 27 of those times takes place in just the three first three chapters. We will see the word wise or wisdom or some derivative 30 times within the book, but 27 of those times within the first three chapters. And this is our, our theme verse. Proverbs 4, 7, it says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. Because wisdom is very lacking in our day and age, if you haven't noticed, and wisdom is especially lacking, I believe, in our generation. And so we're going to work upon this theme verse. We are going to attempt to notice the verbiage in that verse, get wisdom. So I'd like us to actually say this all together out loud on three. One, two, three. Wisdom is supreme, Therefore get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. So this is our theme verse for this series called Be Wise. Now why wisdom? Why was Paul so heavily preaching and teaching the Corinthian church about wisdom? Well we first have to understand the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church obviously is is so named because of its location, it's located in Corinth. The church of Corinth was founded by Paul around A.D. 50 uh, on his second missionary journey. You can read it in the books of, book of Acts. Acts chapter 18 speaks of this. And uh, Paul writes this letter uh, from Ephesus while, on his, while he's on his third missionary journey. So he founded the church in A.D. 50, writes this letter in A.D. 55. So about five years has passed by the time Paul writes this letter Um, from the time he first planted the church in Corinth. So here Paul addresses in the book of 1 Corinthians, he addresses less theological topics and he more so addresses practical issues, practical daily living, and he addresses, uh, things such as, um, the correction of the church. He rebukes the church, uh, because of their way of living. Now, why does Paul do this? Why does Paul, why does Paul treat this letter more as, uh, an instructive letter, more as a rebuke? Uh, than maybe some of his other epistles which encouraged the church. Well, we have to then understand what the Corinthian church was doing. We have to understand a little bit of Corinth. So Corinth was located in southern Greece, uh, in the Roman province of Achaia. It was 45 miles west of Athens. Now, before Paul's day, uh, Corinth was captured by the Roman legion in around 146 BC. They completely leveled the city. They completely leveled the city of Corinth, leaving nothing behind. It wasn't until about 100 years later until Julius Caesar comes on the scene around 44 BC and he rebuilds the city of Corinth. And from the time 44 BC happens, where Julius Caesar rebuilds the city of Corinth, uh, it grows rapidly. The city of Corinth uh, just takes off rapid growth within the city and... Um, Uh, We even know that in Paul's day, uh, it was the third most important city in all of the Roman Empire, uh, behind Alexandria and obviously behind Rome. So Corinth is a very prominent city in Paul's day. It was the center of philosophy, the center of pagan worship, and the center of sexual worship practices. There were 12 pagan temples. There were about a thousand temple prostitutes young, old, male, female, sexually practicing these things to their goddess Aphrodite. So this is a very, very sexually immoral city. Uh, Sexual immorality is rampant throughout the city. You can actually uh, get a a taste of probably what Corinth was like by reading Romans chapter 1 because uh, Paul was writing Romans from the city of Corinth. So he most likely would have been even able to look out his own window and see the sin that had just permeated the city. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church to instruct them not to bring those sexually immoral practices, not to bring the world into the church. And that's in fact what the Corinthian church had done. And even uh, the lowest accusation you could make against a man in that day was to call them a Corinthian. So it's not a, very, uh, not a very good thing to be considered a Corinthian in this day. It was a, a very sexually perverse city. And uh, Romans chapter 1, again, like I mentioned, speaks of this. And what ends up happening is that the members of the church permitted the sin and the lifestyle of the city into the local assembly. The Corinthian church permitted the sin and the lifestyle of their city and of their culture. They permitted the sin inside the local assembly of the church. And Paul says, this cannot happen. This cannot be. There was division. There was quarrels happening in the Corinthian church. There was sexual immorality going on within the church. They were suing each other. They were even getting drunk at communion. So this is a very uh, worldly church and Paul's going to mention this. Look at uh, chapter 3 with me before we dive into our study. Chapter 3 just and I'm this is all just context just to give us the context of why Paul's writing this letter. He says in chapter 3 verse 1, "And I brothers, could not speak to you as spiritual people" but as to carnal circle that word carnal many of your translations probably say worldly i could not speak to you as spiritual people but as to worldly as to babes in christ i fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it and even now you are still not able so pause with me there so Paul is saying, I desire to go deeper in your walks with the Lord. I desire to continue into maturity with you. I desire to continue in your spirituality, but I could not because you were still spiritual babies. He says, I had to give you milk. I couldn't feed you steak. I couldn't feed you solid food. You weren't ready to digest it yet because you are still worldly. And Paul, in essence, in a phrase, is going to say to the Corinthian church, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up because five years has, has passed now since Paul planted the church to the time he's now writing this letter. He says, listen, you've been a church for five years now. We've got to move on. We've got to progress in the Lord. We've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. But you are still spiritually immature. Now, why were the Corinthians still spiritually immature even after five years as a church? And here's the answer. They had allowed the philosophy and the wisdom of the world to shape how they think and act inside and outside of the church. This is why they had a spiritual stunt within their growth as Christians, because they had allowed the culture around them, the philosophy so-called, the wisdom of this world, to shape how they think and how they act inside and outside of the church. And Paul, in essence, is going to call them to grow up, and growing up involves getting wisdom. Growing up involves getting wisdom and becoming wise. And oh, how this such applies to us in this day and age. How so easily our minds and our hearts can be conformed to the pattern of this world. Romans chapter 12 says, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the mind has to exercise that getting after wisdom. Seek wisdom. And a part of growing up, a part of maturing in the Lord is getting wisdom, is becoming wise. So this is the context in which Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's going to call them to be wise in your marriage, be wise in your relationships, be wise when it comes to money, be wise when it comes to the spiritual gifts. And through our series, we're going to hit all those topics be Being wise in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendships, and with your money, um, with spiritual gifts. We're going to hit on all those. So Paul calls the church to be wise. So with the context laid before us, let's, let's dive in here. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read the first eight verses and then we're going to unpack what the Lord has for us tonight. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our first principle, our first B principle, is be wise in your calling. Be wise in your calling. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, when you have proud people depending on human wisdom adopting the lifestyles of the world there will always be problems this is what the corinthian church was they were a proud people who were wise in their own eyes and adopting the practices of the world around them and you're always you'll, you will always have problems when that's your mentality and in order to help them solve their problems paul opens this letter by reminding the Corinthian church of who they are and whose they are. He starts this letter by reminding the Corinthian church of who they are and whose they are. So instead of Paul coming right out, what I find so fascinating is, instead of Paul coming right out and addressing the Corinthian church by telling them all of the wrong things that they're doing, he first reminds them of who they are and whose they are. And he says, firstly, you are called to be holy. You are called to be holy. Look at verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, circle the word sanctified, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. What Paul first does in addressing the problems of the Corinthian church is in fact he doesn't even address the problems right from the get-go he actually addresses and reminds them of who they are in the Lord. It would be the same way as if a teacher, many of you are teachers, and, and some of you I know are, are coaches, you coach some little league ball, and it'd be the same way as if a teacher who is going to rebuke a student, and so they bring little Johnny to the desk and say, listen, Johnny, but before they, they go on to address all of the problems and all of their rebellion and their misbehaving, they first oftentimes affirm them in their gifts and so many of you teachers do this you you address little johnny he's been goofing off in class he's been messing around and you call little johnny to your desk you say little johnny listen you're a smart kid you're bright you do your homework all right i've seen you be kind to the other classmates but why do you then persist to do abc okay be the same way as if a coach called one of his players to his attention he said hey get get over here little sport listen you, you practice hard. You get to, you get to practice early. All right, you, you work on all the plays with your, your teammates. You respect your coaches, okay? But then why do you not execute when we actually have a game? All right, now get back out there, you little squirt. Right, so, this is what a coach does. This is what a teacher does. Before rebuking them, now, not all the times, but oftentimes, before you rebuke your player, you correct your student, you first affirm them in. And remind them in what they're doing well, you first affirm them in their gifts. And this is exactly what Paul does. He says, before we're going to dive into all of the issues and all of the problems that I've heard about, we're first going to remind you who you are and you're called to be holy. You're called to be holy because notice in verse 2, I had you circle that word sanctified. Sanctified in the Greek is hagiatso. It's the Greek word hagiatso and it's the verb to be holy. And the same, same word for uh, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Called to be saints. The Greek word saints is hagios, and it means holy thing. It's an adjective that means holy thing. So in essence, this could read, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are holy in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. And so Paul first reminds them of their position in God through Jesus Christ. He says, listen, you guys are a holy people because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. So therefore, be holy. Therefore, be holy. And so this is what Paul does. And, and, and by the way, uh, we oftentimes think of a saint as someone who is dead but was, uh, lived a holy life. But, but Paul addresses the living here and he calls them saints. A saint is not someone who has died, but a saint is someone who is living. We are technically all saints, All right, we're technically all saints because the Bible refers to the living who have been justified and forgiven by Christ as saints. We are called to be holy. And so before Paul gets into their dirty business, he first says, listen, I just want to remind you who you are. Positionally in Christ, positionally before God in Christ, you are a holy people. You are sanctified. You are set apart to the Lord. So therefore, be saints. You are called to be saints. You are called to be holy. And here's my next point for this this be wise principle. is a question. Does my practice in the world match my position in Christ? Does my practice in the world match my position in Christ? Because we all have to understand this, church. We all have to understand, positionally, before God, when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and Jesus' work on the cross for me, when I come to Jesus, when I repent of sin, when I come to him in repentance, Jesus then, the Bible says, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and therefore, if I am a new creation in Christ, God no longer sees me for my sin, but he sees me as holy, his holy son. And so positionally in God, before God, we are now Made holy and perfect. I mean, it's an amazing thing to think that our position in Christ is holy. Before God, we are a holy people, but oftentimes we then don't practice as our position dictates. So oftentimes in our Christian lives, we have to understand that positionally we are right and holy before God, but why then does our practice not match our position? Why does our practice in this world not match our position before the Lord? Because if we positionally are holy before a right and just just God, why then do we not practice in like kind? Why are we still getting drunk like the Corinthian church? Why are we still sleeping around? Why are we still using certain language? Why are we still doing certain things? Because it's not a reflection of our position in Christ. So Paul says, listen, the practice has to match the position. You are made holy before God, therefore be holy. God sees you as holy because of the work Jesus did for you on the cross. Therefore, your practice, your actions, your behavior has to follow suit. And there's so much more I want to unpack in this first chapter. And so we're going to come back to be wise in your calling in our next couple of series, or our next couple of studies. But our first point, and, and we only got through verse two tonight, but our first point is be wise in your calling. And simply understand, now that you are in Christ Jesus, before God, God sees you as righteous, God sees you as holy, God sees you as he sees his son. Therefore, our goal in this life, as a response to our position, our practice, our actions, our behavior, has to follow suit. And so this is what Paul does, He, before get, getting into their problems, he's going to address their quarrels, he's going to address their division. He's going to address their sexual immorality. But he first starts this letter off by saying, listen, you are a holy people, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. God now sees you as he sees his holy son. Therefore, be holy. Therefore, be holy. So be wise in your calling is our first principle in our series. And guys, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him go to God and ask, and God without finding fault will not withhold wisdom he will give generously. And so if you need wisdom tonight, if you need to be wise in your calling, maybe you just needed to be reminded of that fact that you are seen as holy before the Lord, therefore let us live holy lives and now your conduct can reflect your position in Christ. Now let's go out there, let's live let's live this world with the mindset that I'm going to please the Lord. But when we please the Lord, we have to be wise about our decisions. And, and I can't wait to touch on our other topics about relationships and money and spiritual gifts and all that good stuff that Paul addresses. But firstly, be wise in your calling. And where, do, where does wisdom begin? It begins with the fear of the Lord, acknowledging that God is over all, that you are submissive to His will. And James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, if you, have, if you need wisdom for a specific decision to make, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask the Lord who will give generously without finding fault, James 1.5 says. And so if you right now are just needing wisdom for something, if you need wisdom for this season of life, if you need wisdom for an important decision, I don't know what that important decision might be, but if you need wisdom, humbly come before the Lord and ask Him. And the Bible says it's His promise that He promises to give us wisdom. So let's just go before the Lord in prayer right now. And let's just ask the Lord for his wisdom. And maybe right now, if you need wisdom for a specific situation or a specific decision, decision, just be thinking of that as we pray and just give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I need wisdom. So let's pray right now. God, we come before you and we ask for wisdom. We ask for your wisdom, Lord. Whatever is going on in our season of life, Lord, whatever... Whatever decisions we we have to make, whether the decisions concern work or whether the decisions concern concern home, uh, maybe we need wisdom for a relationship, maybe we need wisdom for a friendship, maybe we need wisdom just in in talking to a coworker or in talking to our bosses, maybe we need wisdom just. We just need to know the next step of life. We just need to to know where to go, what to do. And we have a lot of options in front of us, but we just need to make a decision. But before we need to make a decision, we, we need to call on your wisdom because there's a lot of wisdom that this world attempts to offer us. There are a lot of voices and a lot of opinions going through our mind from the world. Lord, we do we do not want the world's wisdom. We want your wisdom. We need wisdom from above that comes from your spirit. So I pray for this room right now. And we ask for wisdom, Lord. We ask for your wisdom. And your promise says in James 1.5 that you will give generously to all without finding fault if we humbly come before you and simply ask. And because you are a good father who keeps his promises, we know that you will do exactly that, that you will give us the wisdom we need to pursue holy living, to make decisions that please you. And so we come before you, God. Fill us with your wisdom. Fill us with your spirit. We trust you to do the rest, Lord. Thank you for this night. Thank you for our study, Lord. I pray that as we make our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, you would continue to give us wisdom about relationships and money and whatever else Paul addresses in this letter. Please be with us. Give us wisdom as we study this book together. Thank you, Lord, that we are positionally right before you because of what your son Jesus did for us on the cross. And because we are positionally right, may we also practice right. May we go out into this world and live a life of holiness because it pleases you. In response to all that you've done for us. Forgive us, Lord. Encourage us, comfort us, and over everything, give us wisdom. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this night. I pray that you would just go before us in our work week. May we look to you, may we glorify you in all that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen.